Let's open up our Bibles to Malachi chapter 2, the last verse in that chapter, Malachi chapter 2. And uh, as you're turning there, let me give a couple of more uh, uh, just instructions. I just want to, not only our children's church is dismissed, but also in just a little bit, uh, about halfway in the message, I'm going to dismiss uh, our older children that have been working on a song. I'm going to dismiss them. They, they know to just to go to the gym, follow Miss Nia to the gym. And so they'll be working on that to be able to perform that song uh, in the next few weeks. But uh, again, I want us to turn to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2, in the last verse, uh, which is verse 17. And we'll go through Malachi chapter 3, verse 5 this morning. I want to say this before I get into, uh, really get into the message this morning, is uh, some people just encourage you. Sometimes they do it through uh, telling you things by, by their words, and some people encourage you by their actions. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, I get a lot of different things said to me. I have people that, you know, make uh, just, I want to do this or I want to do that. And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And so I get a lot of those things and, and all those things are fine and they have their place and I have to filter all those things in. But, uh, you know, just in the last 24 hours, just thinking about Jacob and Cassie Poussin, I just want to mention their name because they just bring such an encouragement and joy to me. If you don't know them in the life of our church, I would encourage you to get to know them because they will encourage you like they have encouraged me. Uh, I pray not only whenever maybe I'm not in church one week that people can say, you know what, uh, I want to mention Garen because he's an encourager to me. That would be awesome. And even the Bible even gives us an example of even when someone's gone, they talk about the days of old of how so-and-so used to be an encouraging uh, encouragement to them. And even while a person was yet dead, yet years later they were still being uh, talked about, about how God was just such a, 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 just a, a great person in, in their life and uh, how they were an encouragement to others. And the reason I'll bring those two up is because yesterday uh, they were, Judson, little Judson was still in the hospital. And he had been in the hospital since late Wednesday night. And here it is. That was yesterday, Saturday. And so this morning they just got out. And yesterday, uh, Jacob, and, Jacob was up here helping me turn these, uh, uh, these tables into pews. Because uh, he was home with Mallory. And so he was up here just doing his part like he always does week in and week out. Waiting to hear about what was going on with Judson. And Cassie's there in the hospital, and she is making sure that all of our nursery workers were going to be here for church today. And then even this morning, Jacob, we're talking on the phone, and he finished setting up a couple things, uh, getting ready for us to have worship today and our children to be taken care of, that he says, uh, he told me, he said, Judson's coming home. I said, awesome, that's, that's great. And he goes, if it's okay with you, uh, I'm going to stay home uh, because they're on their way home. If everything's okay with the church, and, and unless you need me there this morning, I'm going to stay home. And I wanted to reach my hand through my cell phone and wring his neck because, of course, stay home and 
with your baby being home and you being able to settle in. But my whole point is they're both of their heart in worship and in, in to the Lord, in service to the Lord. I want to do whatever. And everybody else wants titles and everybody else wants this and that and wants to stand up and get all the glory. And it's time that we uh, start to acknowledge the people behind the scenes that are doing some great and awesome things. And we try to do that. It's on my heart. Y'all kind of looking at me like uh, just crazy this morning. But anyway, I, I promise I'm not crazy this morning. But, you know, I try to do that with the people that volunteer each week with our nursery and with our children's church. And there's other people that just do things behind the scenes. And so many times, like I said, whether it's me or Jake or others that stand up here will get praise and glory for different things. To me, that is the people that, uh, that deserve that acknowledgement and that praise and just their heart behind it. And so uh, I just, for whatever it's worth, I just wanted the Lord to get praise and honor and glory because of the heart of Jacob and Cassie Puso. Is that all right? Is that all right? Are we good? All right. Let's turn in our Bibles again to Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, verse through chapter 3, verse 5. We're going to be talking this morning about joy. Just joy. And of how we're going through this Christmas season. We're going through this Advent season. And last week we just talked about hope. When there was no hope in the world, we, they were able to see and experience hope. This week we're looking at joy and true happiness, true joy that is found in the Lord. And uh, what I love about the Bible is that we're talking about real people. You know, a lot of times in, in church life and, in the peop and people outside of the church, we kind of have this weird place that we put the people in the Bible. You know, they're not like you and I. They're not, you know, they're just, they're, they're fictitious characters uh, that just, uh, you know, that were just kind of played out like a movie or in history. But it, does, it doesn't relate to us. It doesn't, it's not the same. That is, that, that is the way that we kind of think of the people in the Bible. When we, if we would look at it with real eyes and understand what's really happening here, we would see that these people are just like, you and I. They're just like you and I, and God is using them as an example. Even for them, it was important for them in that time period, but their example is important for us today. Now, let me tell you a little bit what's going on here. The Bible, uh, uh, when God is establishing all of these things, there's so much that has happened through history. There's all the Old Testament things that have happened as far as God and his people Israel and God establishing them as a nation and giving them their land and going through uh, not only the prophets but also through the judges and, and then the kings and just a lot of different things that you say, you know what, that's, that's way too much for me to just comprehend. Uh, but all of these things happen as, as Israel as a nation, God's people. And there was a lot of other things that happened as far as the nations going into war and losing their land and being held captive uh, in certain places and God bringing them back together. And so we experienced a little bit of that last week when we were looking at the book of Jeremiah. But now, this week, it has been a long time that God has been dealing with his people and there's been a lot of talk of the Messiah, of Jesus, of, of one that is coming, that's going to really bring all of these things together, for, not only for the nation of Israel, but also for the world. And so Malachi is placed there at the last chapter in the book, in, in the, in the uh, Old Testament, okay? 
And it is, it is the last time that you're going to hear of things about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ on the earth before he actually comes. And so it's placed there, again, for a reason. It's just a small little book. And so Malachi is a prophet. And what the prophet would do is that God would speak directly to this prophet Malachi. He would do this with all the prophets, but he would speak directly to them, and he would take that message from God to the people, okay? And so he had a direct word from God, and he was going to relay it to God's people. And that is what he's doing here in chapter 2 uh, in verse 17. I want, to, I want us to read uh, verse, uh, verse 17, talking about joy. We're going to get to joy, believe me. But in verse 17... He kind of gives them a report about where they are. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? Talking about God. In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? And so what's happening here with these people is that they're having conversations not only with God, but also with Malachi. And Malachi is there defending the Lord and he's trying to tell the people, this is what is happening with you. What's happening here is that they're wearying the Lord. Now I want you to understand something, that in the book of Isaiah, if you want to write a couple of passages of scripture down, but in Isaiah 40, 28 and Isaiah 40, uh, 43, 24, it talks about wearying the Lord. Now I don't want I don't want you to have the understand or the impression that, that God will become sluggish and you can just wear down God physically as you and I could easily be worn down, okay? But it, it is something that they are constantly complaining to the Lord about and it, he, is, he, he is experiencing that on behalf of the people. They are constantly saying these things to him and, and complaining basically to God. And that is what uh, Malachi is saying to the people about how they are dealing with the Lord. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And what they're saying in that last part of chapter se of, uh, of verse 17 is basically they're saying, why do the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper? Is basically what they're saying. Have you experienced that? You've heard that before, right? It seems like I am trying to do the right thing and everybody else who are wicked and ungodly are getting blessed. And the people who are the people that are trying to do the things of God, they seem to, it, it, it's talking back to me again. But anyway, it seems to uh, not be prospering for the people of God. And so that is what uh, they, the people are complaining about. And they're wanting to know, hey, listen, we're trying to do all the things right before the Lord. And yet the things are not working out for us. And they're asking in the last little part of verse 17, it says, where is the God of justice? Boy, I'm telling you, if we would just get our Sunday best off this morning and really got honest, is, is the way I think. And it's probably the way, if, if maybe you got on us this morning, the way you think. Is that, you know what, so-and-so's not doing the things of God. Why are they not getting the judgment of God on their life? And for me, I'm trying to do the things of God. And God, why are you not acknowledging those things in my life? There's a lot of times the things in this world that people will say, why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? And that is basically what they are saying here in verse 17. Now, 
Let's look a little deeper in who they are and let's see what they really should have been asking at the last part of verse 17. Because like I said, our title this morning is, is Joy, but I'm gonna, I want to even put a little subtitle on there, Joy Through Mercy. It's through mercy. They really should have been asking for mercy. Let's see why. If you were to understand of why they're wearying the Lord with all their words and they're complaining to the Lord about all of these different things, they think that they are righteous people. When if you would read the entire book of Malachi and figure out who these people are, they were constantly in a place of divorce. They were divorcing each other. And, and not only were they divorcing each other for not a, 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 any kind of real cause of why they were divorcing each other just because of they were just being wicked and ungodly, but they were marrying pagan, they were taking in pagan wives to be their, to be their wife, to be their spouse. They were, they were just living ungodly lives. They were thinking that they were doing all the righteous things but they were doing whatever they wanted to. They were also giving an offering to God, but it was a defiled offering, the Bible tells us in the book of Malachi. They were giving offerings, but it was tarnished, it was nasty, it was dirty before the Lord. And they were there in a place of saying, look how great we are because we're giving to the Lord, but it was, an, it was a, a defiled offering. Also, it tells us a little bit later in the, in the book, in, the, in chapter 3, uh, how they were robbing God of their tithes. They were, not, they were not giving God what was his, what was due to him. They were robbing the Lord, and it said that you are robbing yourselves of the blessings from God that they were not experiencing seeing. They were saying to God, God, we are the righteous. We are the ones that are, is good in the sight of the Lord, and everybody else is doing evil Yet they were the ones that was doing evil as well. And they were the ones that was robbing themselves. Now listen, you know, I had uh, Joey come in uh, a couple weeks ago to preach for us. And, and I was telling him just a little bit about uh, what we're doing at Crosspoint and, and all of those different things. I was trying to get him to move down over here and, and join with us, right? But anyway, it's just a little joke, but a little truth to it too. But anyway, when Joey was here, I was just telling him, you know, I said, well, we have two things that is kind of with us right now. Is that we have a, a group of people who are, uh, if they're not in church, uh, they have, they understand a little bit of church. We're in a church place community there's a ton of churches all over the place and so we want to introduce them to the Lord not churchy religious things we want to be able to talk to them about who Christ is and then we have a group of people who are uh, great people who are in church love the things about the Lord but has heard so many religious things that we also we also got to work in just saying you know what we do these things not out of obligation but out of love and so for us, you, when, you, when you take the principle of even tithing, we want to be able to teach you in a place of tithing, not out of God is going to zap you if you don't give to the church. And we don't want to play, get up here and say, listen, we'd be able to do this, this, and this. If everybody and, their everybody and their mama would tithe accordingly, then we'd be able to accomplish so much and teach in a place of guilt versus in a place that Malachi was teaching in chapter 3 you're not giving to God like you ought to, and you're robbing God, but you're robbing yourself of the many blessings that you get from the Lord. And we want to be able to teach our 
our people that are introduced to church why it's so good to give to God. And we want to teach the people who are faithful even in giving that it's not out of obligation and law, but it's out of love towards the Lord. Amen? All right. And so as we look at Malachi, we see that these people are not as righteous as they think they are. And it's just so interesting, the last part of 17, that they say, where is the God of justice? Boy, they really want the hammer to come down. We talked about it last week, and I'm not going to refer to it this week uh, out of a little ha-ha over here. But, you know, when you have uh, the person that is on their throne and is bringing down the hard hammer of justice, you want to be able to say, throw them in prison and give them what is due to them when we're dealing with other people, right? But when it's us, we want mercy. We want mercy. Now, I promise you, listen, everybody just look at me, smile. We're getting to the Christmas part in just a little bit, all right? But we want that hammer to come down on everybody else and ask for, ask for God's justice. Where is the God of justice for all these other people? But when it's us, we're asking for mercy. I've got to tell this corny story uh, before we move on, just because it's been in my mind the last couple of days. And uh, an old preacher friend of mine used to tell this story uh, about how, you know, there was this pastor at, at this church that every Sunday he would preach. And he would just preach really hard and he would just really lay it on the people. And there was this one man every Sunday that would, as he would leave out, the pastor at the back door, uh, of course, and the, and the, uh, the guy would... As he was walking out, would tell the pastor, he said, you really let him have it today. He would always say that, boy, you really let him have it today. And he said, man, I just can't ever get through to that guy. He always thinks it's for everybody else when the message is for him as well. But he always talks about everybody else. And he said, this one Sunday, the pastor, of course, lived right next door to the church. And he said, but it was such a, uh, a, a, a heavy uh, snow that came through, uh, uh, a, a storm that had come through. And he said, everybody else seemed to be snowed in except the preacher, of course, was able to walk on over to the church. And this one man was able to just come on and everybody, nobody else was there. And he says, you know what, I'm taking advantage of this opportunity. And, uh, and so he preached. It was just the preacher and this one man. And he let him have it. He preached and preached. And he, went to the, he started closing in prayer, went to the back door. And the man started to leave out. And he told him, he said, preacher, if they would have been here, you would have let them have it. And he, so even with that situation, the man was thinking about other people getting the message versus him receiving the message. For us, I pray we come in not thinking about how all these other people need to hear this message, but about how we need to hear this message. And these people were so focused on God dealing with other people that they were not ready to be dealt with themselves. And they're asking for God. God, where is the God of justice? And for what they should have been asking, not only for the people around them, but for themselves, where is the God of mercy? And listen, we can have joy this morning because of a God who gives us mercy. Amen? He gives us mercy. And so as we continue to read on through this place of joy, he says, Behold, I send my messenger in chapter 3, verse 1, 
Let's understand here, it's really kind of, sort of kind of complicated in the first couple of verses of what he's referring to. In verse 11, he's clearly re- talking to the people at that time that Malachi was dealing with. In verse 3, I mean, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, God is saying, behold, I send my messenger. It's really neat because God is using Malachi. God is saying this, but he's saying it through Malachi to God's people. And he's saying, behold, I send my messenger. Malachi, the actual name for Malachi in, in, uh, in the Hebrew is my messenger. So God is using his messenger, Malachi, to tell the people that I'm going to send my messenger. And he's not talking about Malachi here. And he's really not even talking about Jesus as the messenger here. But he's actually talking about John the Baptist. He's talking about John the Baptist here in verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my, talking about God's messenger. The messenger is John the Baptist. This was prophesied in Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, that there was one that was going to be coming. His his name was going to be John the Baptist. He was going to be uh, uh, the one that was going to be coming before the Lord. He was going to be the one preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. This time last year, we looked at that story in the book of Luke of how John was born, John the Baptist, and he was going to be coming, preparing the way for the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing on in verse 1, it says, and he will prepare the way before me, before God, which he's referring to Jesus there, before Jesus comes into the world. It says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The one you seek and they're talking about, you're asking for God to show up and to do business with his people. You are asking for justice and you really should have been asking for mercy to, for you to be able to experience this joy. He says, listen, he will suddenly come to his temple. You're going to be able to receive this grace from God because of Jesus coming. And John the Baptist is going to prepare the way, but Jesus is going to come. Now, we understand the only way that we can really seek after God, the only way that we can do any of these things is because of Jesus coming and making a way for us. It's the only way. Now, Jesus, what I love this about God and and as he is talking here in verse one, he is taking. He is taking uh, a dose of his own medicine. Meaning that he Jesus is coming to establish his his kingdom. He is coming to take his throne as coming as the one that is the Messiah for the people to save the people. And the only way that is that was going to happen We understand when he came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes was for him to come and die on the cross for our sins. And so it was, like I said, the Bible tells us that the only way that a person can have a relationship with God is through the forgiveness of sins. And the only way that we can have forgiveness of sins is for the blood to be poured out over our sins. And there was only one thing that could have that could do that. And that was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he's talking here that he's going to will come to his temple in verse one, he's talking about Jesus coming and setting himself up. And like I said, it's because of his blood that we can be justified, that we can come righteous before holy God is because of who Jesus is in 
his temple. Now, I love how the Old Testament had a temple where God dwelt. Do you understand me? There was a temple that you'd have to go to that place, and in between that uh, cherubim wings on top of the Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God was. It was in that place. Now the Bible tells us in this new temple that in, when you're found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that, you, uh, that, his, that his spirit no longer dwells in temples that are made with hands, but now that you are the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are found in the Lord, if you're saved, if you have a relationship with him. Continuing on in verse 1, he says, even the messenger, this one is actually talking about Jesus here, of the new covenant. That Jesus, it says, even the messenger of the new covenant. Now, one of the things that I was just really uh, intrigued by this week is talking about this word covenant. And this word, testament. Did we understand and hopefully know that when we're talking about a covenant is basically two is another word for testament. And so as we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament in our Bibles, we can also refer to them as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I love how the book of Hebrews talks about this in the great detail. How it tells us, listen, this is how God dwelt with, uh, dealt with his people in the Old Testament. And now he's coming with a better way in the New Testament, in this new covenant. And so for us, we're transitioning and these people are transitioning from the Old Testament way of about doing things to the new. I hope that doesn't confuse you this morning. We could spend some time of just kind of sitting there at a table uh, if you would like to. And we can go through of how God was dealing with his people in the Old Testament. Many of those things were just a picture of what was to come in anticipation of how God was coming to fulfill all of those things that he had done in the Old Testament. Not to say that the Old Testament wasn't there for a reason and that covenant wasn't important and, and, and very uh, uh, real for those people. But now God is telling us that he made a better way and it was through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's telling us of this new covenant that he has with us. I want us to turn in our Bibles, if you're still with me this morning, to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, and if you have uh, my Bible this morning, it's on page 546. But Jeremiah, ha -ha, Jeremiah 31 and verse 31, and I want to read uh, a couple of verses for us through verse 34. He's talking about this new covenant. The prophet Jeremiah was talking about this new thing that was going to come. He's talking about what it was going to be with this new covenant, talking about the New Testament, which is Jesus Christ. He says, Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah 31, 31 says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in that day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. The Lord said, listen, they were my people and I loved them like they were my bride, the nation of Israel. He goes, I led them out of the children of Israel. I gave them their own land, their own possessions. I did all of this for them, and they rebelled against me. This is the same group of people that we're dealing with here in Malachi. And he's telling us, continuing on in verse 33, he says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. No longer it was going to be the legalistic 
laws and rules and rituals that they had to go through in the past. He's telling them here in verse 33, he says, Now, in this new covenant, I will put my law in their hearts and write it on their heart. Uh, excuse me. I will put, their, put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. He's telling them here, no longer is going to be on the outside, do this and do that. But he's saying now with this new covenant, which is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I'm going to put it inside of them. I'm going to make them a new creation. I'm going to put it where, you know, people have recently been uh, given their life to the Lord. And we refer to as being saved, being changed, being different. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we could do to help people. I want to be able to help you in your relationship with the Lord. I do. I, I want our church to be a help and an encouragement to you in your relationship with the Lord. But nothing is stronger and greater than when you're really saved and you have a relationship with God of what he's talking about here when the Spirit of God rests abides, lives, has taken up residence in your life. Because when he's inside of you, it doesn't matter if the preacher was with you each and every day of your life to help you so-called do better. I would probably figure out ways to, uh, uh, if you, you, know, you say, you know what, I'd have a good week if my preacher was just alongside of me. I'd probably stay out of a lot of trouble. I'd probably get you into more trouble than you would be in trouble by yourself. I really, I really, we'd probably just get into trouble together. Okay? I'm talking about something greater than just having a, a, an elder of the church to just walk with you throughout your whole week and you say, when I come back to church next week, I'm going to be better off. I'm talking about God is telling you that he is going to come inside of your life. And when you have to say, you know what, how do I pray God's going to tell you this is how you pray. God says, how do I, when you ask God, God, how do I love? And God, how do I grow in you? How do I do these things? He is the one now that's going to do those things. I was listening to a message this week by Adrian Rogers. He has passed, uh, he, he's, he passed away uh, several years ago now. Uh, but I love, I mean, I just, when I think of him and his life, and when I hear his preaching, I just think, man, this guy probably never sinned. I just, I just, I mean, I just think he's that was that great of a man and I loved when I was listening to a message even pertaining to this he started going on about just how wicked and how ungodly he is and and I wish I could take you through my week this week and just tell you of how wicked and how ungodly that I am I don't say that to brag on sin I hope you understand how messed up we all are Okay, how messed up we are all are in the, we just, I can't even get my English out, can't get my language out. We're all just messed up. And with that, the Bible's telling us that he puts his spirit inside of us to help us, not only to clean us up, but to put us on the right path to do the things that we ought to do. Now, I'm, I can tell you how I messed up this week and how I've been messing up. But greater than that is, 
I don't want to mess up. You understand? I don't want to mess up. I hate the fact that I mess up. I hate the fact that I, 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 you know, Paul explained it this way. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I hate that battle. But that is the battle that's happening in my life. And it's only because of the Spirit of God that is inside of me. It's only because of His Spirit. If you think Garen wants to do right in his own nature because of if where he got it from because of because of Gary and Emma Dardar, my parents, it didn't, it didn't come from them. And if they're listening to this, it's only because they taught me about what it is to have the spirit of God in my life. Because if he gets a hold of me, I have an opportunity. Mom and daddy, you know, mom and daddy's conviction on my life is only going to carry me so far. But he's talking about a spirit to come inside of me that he is going to be the one to help me through my life. No longer them having to be at the right place at the right time for these rituals and depending on these people, he's saying, I'm putting that spirit and those laws and everything on your mind and on your heart. He's saying it's a, it's a new, new ball game, verse 34. He says, no more, he says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord he says I'm telling you if you write in your Bible underline this he says for they all shall know me you don't have to come running to the preacher you don't have to come running to this person or that person he's talking about a very intimate word here and a phrase that they could know me. They could have a relationship with me. And, it, and, and I love how he doesn't stop there because he just continues on because we're talking about people. Man, we just have people on pedestals and we have people that are, you know, we look down upon. And he says, they're going to know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Look, li listen to how he, what he puts first. From the least to the greatest, they're going to know me. It's not going to be because they were born. See, the Old Testament, they were born in this family. If they were born in the Levitical family through this, they were able to be a priest. If they were, able, if they were born through the uh, uh, lineage of, of Judah, like David was and Jesus was, they were able to be a king. You and I, we're not even born in any of those 12 tribes. We have no place. But yet he opens it up to the entire world. and He says, if you're the least, you have a place to the greatest. It doesn't exclude the greatest. He's saying all people have this opportunity now to experience me. He says, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. He says, I'm going to make you a new creation. That is what the New Testament is all about here. I've got to get more out uh, this morning as we continue. He says, in whom, let's go back to verse 1 uh, in, in chapter 3 of Malachi. He says, even the messenger of the, this covenant, this New Testament, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, he's actually going to talk a little bit deeper. He's talking about, he already referred to in verse 1, as the first 
coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he's technically talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the rapture. It's talking about when Jesus actually comes back on the earth to dwell. The Bible tells us that we will come with him. And I don't really want to get into that part of the book of Revelation this morning. I want to see what he's really talking about here in verse 2, 3, uh, 4, and 5, uh, not what, what he's really talking about. That's what he's talking about, but how it could really relate to us. I want us to see and recognize the goal God has for us in his place of joy that we have in our life. Let's look at verse 2. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming, of Jesus' coming? Who can endure that? No one. No one can stand before the Lord, no flesh is able to, to do that. And look, finishing off verse, I mean, the second part of verse two, it says, and who can stand when Jesus appears? When Jesus appears, no one, no flesh can do that. Continuing on, it says, for he is like a refiner's fire and like lauderer's soap. Now, what does that mean? What is he telling us here? He's saying, listen, he is like a refiner's fire. No one can stand up against him. He's like this lauderer's soap. He's, he, he, what is God trying to do in our lives? He's telling us that we have forgiveness of our sins in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will first and foremost, he will put his spirit inside of us now. That is salvation. Can we, can we put that over here in this category of this new covenant of salvation? Everybody's still with me? We just kind of move along, okay? Now he's moving into a place of refining us called a process of sanctification. Let's see what he's trying to do for us in our lives here in this place of joy. He's saying because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, he is now going to, uh, he's like a refiner's fire. God is not primarily, I have this written in my Bible, I want to make sure I, I get this across. He is not primarily interested in your, in your car. He's not primarily interested in your job. Stay with me. He's not primarily interested in your health as much as you are. And you can write other things. But he is interested in you, and he's interested in purifying you as a believer. If you say, I have a relationship with God, that is what God is interested in. There may be things in our lives that God will put us through the fire, and we'll get into that this morning. He may test us and do some things through our life through because of something happening to our car, maybe something happening to our health, maybe something happening to our job. But that is not what he's interested in in that job or those things. He's interested in you. And when we have a relationship with him with, that we discussed in verse 1, guess what's still inside of us? Because they were asking for judgment on the people, right? They were asking for judgment to come down. I'm going to dismiss our children at this time, our older kids, they were asking for judgment to come down on other people, and they were pretending like they didn't have any more garbage in their life. And so for us, if we have checked off the box in our life to say, you know what, I have a relationship with God, let me just name a few things that maybe we still struggle with. What about selfishness? 
I see it all the time when we deal with church. I see it all the time when we deal with just life itself. I should not neglect my family for even the lost world or for other people. I'm not saying neglecting what God has entrusted to you. But we are so self-centered. We are so self-centered. We're selfish people. There's a lot that the Lord's trying to get out of us so that we quit just looking at ourselves and quit being selfish all the time. Of how impatient we are. Pride that is in our lives. Just the pridefulness. The lust. The jealousy. The gossip. The anger. The criticism. And my favorite here, and I say that just kind of tongue-in-cheek, the unbelief. Just the unbelief of how we're not trusting in the Lord for these things in our life. And so we say that we have a relationship with God, and these things are just still there, and they're so, they're so evident in our lives and who we are. Maybe it's not as evident on the outside as it is in, inside of us, we know, bef- between us and the Lord. And the Lord's wanting to purify us. He's wanting to cleanse us through all of these different things. And so it's telling us here, He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be clean. He's going through this process of refining us. Let's look at verse 3. He's saying he's going to put us through this process. He's going to put it, uh, uh, bring us there basically on the altar and root out what is not like Christ, what is not holy, to make us holy. And he says he will sit as, the ref- as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Now listen, I'm not an expert at all, not even close when it comes to mining and when it comes to silver and gold and all of those different things. Uh, I wrote down a couple things of the process that happens whenever you're dealing with these precious metals that, we're, that they are referring to here, as a refiner would do. First of all, they tell, you, they tell us that, it, they, that they take you out of, of that, uh, where they found you and taking that ore out. And so, of course, we understood that in verse 1 of that was salvation in our life, of really taking it out. But for us, the Bible tells us that we are, we're no longer in the world. I mean, we're still in the world, excuse me, but we're not of the world. So we've been taken out, but we're still here. That's why the Bible refers to us as believers, as being strangers in this world. Shouldn't get too comfortable in this place that we live. So he's telling us that we're still here, but we've been called out. We're saints. Cowboy fans, we are saints in the Lord. All right. And, he's, and he continues on just in, in this explanation as I'm referring to verse 3. He tells us that we're, it shows us in this process that we're crushed. That they then take the metal and then they crush it. It's to root, it's to really get all the imperfections that are on it just to get it off. They crush it. There was a long list of things as I was just looking through this week of how until it's really crushed and broken then that's when it's really usable. And that's where we usually find our complaining. You know, when I deal with people that come to the Lord, I want to just be honest and tell them, listen, your first couple weeks, maybe the first couple months, and overall, maybe your first couple years, when you look at it over a long period of time, 
is probably going to be your hardest times in your life. Because you didn't realize you had problems until you realized that it's bigger than the problems that you really thought because it's, it's, it's bigger than what you just saw right in front of your face. And so it's going to become more difficult. But what God is trying to do, he's trying to knock off all of those things that, are, that is us to make us look like the Lord. And so it's crushed. And even when it, you look at the five loaves and the two fish, the Bible says that he broke the bread and then he distributed them out and, 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 uh, and sent it out. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ was crushed and bruised for you and I so that we could have salvation. This world, if you were jotting down any notes, this world throws broken things away. You understand that? This world throws broken things away. When these things are broken in the Lord, that is when the Lord really begins to work and move. Everybody still with me this morning? And so he's telling us here that he's bringing us through this process of this refiner's process, this purifying process, and it's crushed. And he says, listen, he wants to break it up and there's no blessings without this brokenness. And then he melts it down and he melts it down with purpose. Not only he breaks us down there, but he reshapes us and remolds us for his purpose. And a lot of times we want to get out there and do and all these and just really get ahead of ourselves when God is the one that is trying to he's trying to work some things out of us to be the people that he wants us to be. And so as he's telling this, uh, showing this to us in verse three, he says that throughout this entire process, he's wanting us to be more like Christ. And the whole entire time, guess what God is doing in this situation? He's sitting. In verse 3, it tells us that he, he will sit as all of these things are happening. In that position, when you really look at it, and especially look, look at it in its original language and see what the meaning is through all of this, he is sitting there in a, with a couple of different examples of, of how he sits. First of all, he sits in a place of sovereignty. He is there in a place that he is seated there as he is in control. We've said this now for two weeks as far as a courtroom. As the judge walks in and he's seated there in a place of authority. Everybody's in, in, in standing as he's doing that and then they are seated. But he is there in a place of sitting down in authority and in control. And so as we're being, not only being raised up in the Lord and then going through some crushing and going through some, just some refining in our lives, the whole time God is there in control. And a lot of times when we're going through these difficult times, we're saying, God, where are you? God, have you forsaken us? David goes into many, many psalms, and you can really identify with those psalms of saying, God, it seems like you have forsaken me. God, where are you through these difficult times? And God is there the entire time. May we find joy. Let me give us a little time out before I lose you. May we find joy and rest and encouragement knowing that God is sitting on his throne watching carefully over us so that we can be more like him. 
Also, he's there in a place of, of sitting as being sympathetic to, to us because he is there watching. He's carefully watching. He's preciously watching over us. Seeing us go through these things, sympathizing with us, knowing that it's for our good. It is a continual action that he's there watching. He's there sitting over us until it's done, until it's completed. And so as we read verse 3, continue, and it says, And he will sit as the refiner and the purifier of silver. He will purify the, purify the sons of Levi, talking about the Old Testament priests, and will purge them as gold and silver. And it says that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. We saw that last week. There's no way that we could offer anything righteous or stand before God, holy God righteous because of our imperfection and because of our impurities there's no way that we can stand there in that situation apart from the blood and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and so when we allow this process to happen in our lives the Bible says that we can actually offer something back up to God in righteousness Continuing on in verse 4, as we continue in the joy uh, of the Lord and the goodness. Because of this, he says, then the offering, because of all this, the offering of Judah and Jerusalem, talking about the people of God, will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former days, and I will come near you for judgment. I will be swift, a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who explicit wage earnings and widows and orphans and against those who turn away and alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. He's telling them, listen, when you just allow me to work in your life, number one through salvation, some of you this morning have been dealing with just the Lord and been wrestling with Him. And the Lord's saying, listen, surrender to me. You're not going to have all the answers figured out before you just come humbly to the Lord. And He's saying, just surrender to me when you do. Because guess what? If I just started telling you, clean this up, do this and do that, all that's do is going to put more pressure on you instead of what he's talking about, surrendering your life to him, allowing him to come in in his spirit. Not only will he give you the understanding of what to do, but he'll give you the strength and power to be able to deal with those circumstances in your life. First thing is salvation. Second thing is the process that God is wanting to do in and through your life. And even though it may be difficult, even though it may be tough to know that God not only has your best interests in mind, but he has not lost control through those things. And what is he trying to do? He's trying to make you look more like Christ. Not only for your honor, not only for, of course, his honor and glory, but not only for your best interest talking about how you could actually bring an offering in righteousness to God. But also, he's telling you, you want somebody to defend you and fight off your battles? That's what they were saying, right, to the God earlier in verse 17. God, why are all these people getting away with it when we're getting the raw deal? And God finishes off in verse 4 and 5 and starts telling them, 
He says, now you have a God on your side that's going to go against all of those other people. And I'm going to be that swift witness. And I'm going to do all of these things for you. I started off, it wasn't even in my notes to talk about tithing at all this morning. And it really still isn't. But when God tells them that they're not doing all these different things, and at the end he's saying, and you're just missing out. You're missing out on the windows of heaven being opened up and for me just to pour out blessings on top of you. In verse 4 and 5, he's saying, listen, if you would just allow this process to happen in your life and you would see what I'm doing and be able to experience the joy of the Lord, he says, then you're really going to be joyful in the Lord because you're going to see the things that you've been asking for at the beginning of God now be able to just overflow and just pour all those things out on you and you'll be able to take it and endure it and really use it for the Lord in the right situation. I hope you got it this morning. I hope I didn't just ramble on. I hope that it really spoke to your heart this morning. It's really been an encouraging week for me of just dealing with things in my own personal life, but also of being able to see just how good and how great the Lord is and that even though we are talking about this joyful Christmas season and joy to the world and we get to experience and say all of those things, it's because of the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that we just don't miss this season. What a great time to experience the Lord is when we're looking at this time of year and to be able to say, you know what? I really, this year, want to experience the true joy of the Lord. And again, it comes through mercy and God's grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you and we praise you. We just thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Lord, I just ask you right now as we're setting up for our time of response, Lord God, that in this time that you will uh, just allow all the words that I said just to kind of go away. And only the things that have been spoken, Lord God, in your spirit and how your spirit was able to able to speak this morning because of your word, because of your word, and how people's hearts have been able to hear because of you this morning, Lord God. I pray those things would be the only things this morning that is left standing and that are evident, meaning that people have heard from you today, Lord God, because of your word, and I pray that we would respond this morning accordingly whether it's through understanding what salvation is or now understanding what sanctification is as a believer and seeing you exalted and see you there in a place of understanding towards us and us now understanding who you are and what you're trying to accomplish in and through our lives. I pray, Lord God, that we will respond right now accordingly. Lord, we love you. I love you. And I just thank you, Lord God, for your word of how all of this just comes together, Lord God, and of how you just love us so much and care for us and the details that you have laid out for us. I pray this morning, Lord God, that we would understand them and submit to them and see you for who you are. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. As I asked you just a minute ago, let's just respond to the Lord how he would want us to respond.